dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in God's country crops far as I can see headlights on both ends of my day this country life is for me ride with us HPJ ride with us folks to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Midwest Ag Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Associate Editor Jennifer Amlatsky, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Associate Editor Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, folks, we are all back in the studio this week for our regular episode of HPJ Talk. A bit soggy, but we're here, right, Kayleen? Yes. How much rain have you guys gotten out your direction? I would like to know that, but we don't have a rain gauge any longer, so. What what happened to the rain gauge, Kayleen? <laughs> Either it got hailed on or the boys took it somewhere where it's no longer able to be found. You know. <laughs> but it, by judging the amount of water that's in the ditch in the yard, it's a pretty decent amount. Yeah, it, um, you know, we hate to complain about rain out here. We And we, we try really hard not to because we have seen it don't rain the spigot turns off and you are done right yes. yeah but uh, a little bit too much of a good thing yeah holy holy crow i have had water running off of my yard for like four days now it feels like <laughs> um all my containers flooded yes you know normally i don't have to worry about drainage holes in my container garden because <laughs> i'm trying to keep them moist yeah yeah. Um, did you know that periwinkles can float? <laughs> I didn't. You do now. I do now. <laughs> yeah. So, by the way, they do. They float quite nicely. Their little their little uh, roots kind of look like they're waving at you in the water. <laughs> they swim? <laughs> yeah, not so much. I, I think I'm going to go have to replant. The boys were making plans as we were going down the driveway to traipse through every mud puddle in the yard and I'm hoping they're gone by the time we get home tonight. But. Yeah, there's going to be add, more added to them. Yeah. Uh, you know, weather all over this has been going on all over the southern Great Plains. You know, we had flooding uh, Tuesday night in parts of, of Kansas. We saw tornadoes all up and down the plains Monday and Tuesday. Today. Sunday even. Sunday even. <laughs> I saw one out the back door. Yeah, that's right. You and uh, you and your sister had a, a tornado experience, and it was opposite sides of the same tornado, wasn't Probably it? Probably about 15 miles away from each other. <laughs> um, so things get a little interesting. That same tornado, I was waiting in line in the drive-thru at Freddy's, and I, and I, you know, looking ahead, sky's all clear. Look in the rearview mirror, and it is black. Yes. And the sirens are going off and on that side of town, and um, I could hear the emergency responder sirens, you know, going off, and, you know, and I'm thinking, do I sit here and wait for the food, <laughs> or do I leave? Just wait for the food. <laughs> well, just as I go to put it in reverse, I look up, and there is, a, is somebody in the car behind me, and I think she's in law enforcement of some sort. Maybe she works in the dispatch or whatever, but she's in her blue uniform with her with her badges and such. And she's not bothered. So I'm like, well, if she's not bothered, then I can have my uh, Freddy's fries. So we're okay. Yeah. But yeah, if you're dealing with weather, 
Good luck to you. Bless your hearts. We'll be thinking about you. Um, I was just out in wheat fields all last week, as we talked about on the wheat tour. Mm-hmm. Did your mud boots get a workout? The mud boots got a workout. I actually had a sec. I brought a second pair of mud boots with me. And one of our competitors from one of our competing publications, it was her first year on the tour, and she didn't have tall enough boots. And I said, hey, what size are you? Mm-hmm. So I lent her my boots and, and um, got them back. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to say we're paying it forward because um, one of her colleagues many years ago made sure I made my flight out of Memphis on time. So nice. <laughs> all, it all comes around full circle. You know, some of those wheat fields that we saw were heading out, were starting to, you know, show, uh, you know, averages in the high 50s, um, you know, low 60s in some parts, mm-hmm. and they got hail. Yeah. You know, we were just in those fields last week, and, and there's a couple of fields out there I am pretty certain that we looked at somewhere on the tour, and they got hailed out. Well, and then they're talking about, I was trying to pull the weather weather forecast up, there might be a freeze here. Right. At the end of the week, they're yeah. calling for freezing temperatures in the low 30s. And on top of, you know, flooded fields, I yeah. just don't know. It's not going to be pretty, I don't think. This may be a, a year that if you threw the dice and gambled on uh, grazing out your wheat or putting it up for hay, you might actually be ahead of the game. Yeah. Thursday so. night, they're saying 35 for the low. Oh, man. They, I was reading yesterday, it all depends on how low the clouds are, how mm-hmm. big the cloud cap is, and how warm it does actually get. So, Well, we'll be thinking of you all. I'm actually going to be Friday in the middle of a wheat field day down at, at uh, La Homa, Oklahoma. I always love saying that. La Homa, Oklahoma. <laughs> For the Oklahoma State um, Extension Trials, they're out there at La Homa's, at the test station there in La Homa. It's just outside of Enid, so right in the middle of heart, the heart of their winter yeah. wheat country. So um, I always go down there every year. I try to I try to hit up the wheat trials in some of our surrounding states just to keep track of what's going on in the public breeding programs. Mm-hmm. There's some tremendous cool stuff. And we heard yesterday that Risk Management Agency just released a new product that will allow farmers that graze and take their wheat to, to grain, mm-hmm. so graze and gain, or grazing grain. I'll say that four (laughs) times. But now they have a a crop insurance policy that can cover them in the historically grazing parts of of the country. I saw that this morning. That is a blessing for a lot of those cattlemen, a lot of those, uh, you know, the the wheat farmers that that's a key part of their bottom line. So and I also saw that Oklahoma State has a new variety that they named after uh, President ba- Hargis's wife. Yes, Baker's Ann. Yeah, it is a it's a tremendous variety with some really good baking potential. Yeah. Um, I, I always appreciate Oklahoma State how they uh, go about their naming conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, the public programs, if you haven't, you know, kind of followed along in the wheat breeding, it's kind of our typically our bread and butter out this direction. But Oklahoma does very Oklahoma-centric names. So they have a, they have a, a, a variety called Gallagher that is named after your arena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in Kansas, we have a variety named Joe that it's a white wheat variety, but it's named after a longtime wheat breeder in the program. Um, it, and we also have a variety named Bob Dole. Yeah. 
<laughs> so <laughs> that's part of the heritage of, of not as, not as interesting way. as Tam 101, like my dad used to plant. <laughs> <laughs> Tam 112, Tam 110. Yeah, Texas, they, they pretty much stick to the numbering. Yeah. And it and it's really adorable because uh, a lot of those varieties, um, they are part of each state's breeding programs. Mm-hmm. Tam shows up in a lot of programs. Um, Gallagher showing up in a lot yeah. of breeding programs. It's it's interesting to see how the states work together to make sure that farmers have the best yeah. varieties. And it sounds like there was big news in the wheat world yesterday. I... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yesterday I'm, I'm tooling around on Facebook, catching up with things, trying to get – typically the morning is get in, check email, see what, what has hit the fan, and uh, go on over onto Facebook, and all of a sudden I realize – North Dakota grain growers have decided to split from National Association of Wheat Growers. Basically, I did some reporting on it yesterday. In the last couple of years or so, they just have not been seeing a big return on their investment for their membership dollars in NOG. And this is because they're spring wheat primarily. Exactly. So um, for those of you outside of this area, there are six different there are six different classifications of wheat. And typically, they can kind of bounce between spring wheat and winter wheat. So winter wheat is what we grow in the southern Great Plains here in Nebraska and Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, Texas, okay? So is there a line where they start growing the spring wheat? It's not really a definite line. It's more along. uh, So winter wheat, we plant in the fall. It overwinters. It starts greening up in the spring. We harvest it in in June. Spring wheat, they start planting along with spring crops. So March, April, they start planting and they harvest it um, closer towards the fall. Mm-hmm. So to under, to kind of keep it in your brain, remember that our custom cutters will start cutting in the south summer and they will move north like a group of, of grasshoppers <laughs> <laughs> and eventually they'll end up in spring wheat country. And that's typically states like North Dakota, South Dakota, um, Montana, Oregon, Washington, those are... Where it doesn't get warm exactly. as fast as it does down here. So it's a shorter wheat. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not just harvest differences too. There's differences in marketing aspects because spring wheat has different characteristics for baking. Mm-hmm. Um, countries like Japan and other Asian countries like that because it works best in their typical roles. Whereas hard red winter wheat, which is the king out in this country, it's better used for breads. Yeah. You know, your typical, you know, whole grain, wheat, whole bread. grain wheat breads. Okay. And it goes to countries that, and spring wheat, because it can be used that way, it gets a quality premium. And, you know, regularly there's a quality premium stacked with it. Mm-hmm. Hard red winter, not so much a quality premium. If you happen to have protein percentages that reach a certain percentage, yeah, you might eke out a couple of extra pennies or so that year, but it's not a traditional thing. All right, that all said, when you have two different kinds of wheat and you're in, you know, two kinds of different wheat farmers and there are two kinds of marketing aspects, sometimes the communication doesn't quite work out at the national level. Yeah. It's not like cotton, where cotton is a monolithic thought process cotton is cotton is cotton is cotton exactly <laughs> it's not like corn where it's yellow number two dent corn mm-hmm. <laughs> across the way it's not even like soybeans there is there's such a different aspect to how how each region grows it that each state 
has different needs. Well, North Dakota did not feel like their needs were being met. Um, they said things like uh, issues that are important to North Dakota at the national level were not getting the attention and, and um, they didn't feel as the number one wheat growing state in, in our country. They're the leading exporting mm-hmm. state in the country. <laughs> they just did not feel like they were getting a good return on their investment as far as their lobbying dollars yeah. at the national level. And they have their own state lobbyist permanently in D.C. Lobbying on their behalf for specifically North Dakota issues like, you know, wetlands issues that Southern Great Plains guys don't have to worry about. Uh, vomitoxin issues that yeah. Southern Great Plains guys don't have to worry about. And so... It was a big deal. It's a very big deal when a state decides that they want to take their their membership dollars and go play somewhere yeah. else. Are other states going to maybe follow suit, the other spring wheat states? Or are they going to stick with Nog? You know what? I haven't heard specifics, but I know Colorado wheat has come out and said, we're staying put. I think it has to do a lot with what states feel if their needs are being met. And I and you know, National Association of Wheat Growers, they said in their statement, we have tried. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going through third party mediation, we're we're, you know, making an effort to go and understand the issues that are up there. We'll just it'll have to see. Yeah, cuz what when is it the deadline June end of June or something when their fiscal year ends? End of June is when they have to um, stay or go is when their contracts re up. Now, this is all in an era where we are starting to lose wheat acres to competing crops. Yeah. We're seeing in Oklahoma guys terminating gorgeous wheat fields in the southern part of the state because they can use that as a cover to plant cotton into. I mean, who knew that yeah. <laughs> we would go from, you know, growing wheat as a as a commodity to using it as a cover crop for cotton. Yeah, I had to pull the grain the cash bids yesterday for the gray market page because somebody was gone and for three bucks a bushel is really not worth your time <laughs> you know what it's below the cost of production it is and so they were all below the cost of production it seemed like yeah that's why it's so important to understand these issues out here in farm country people don't quite get farmers are price takers not price makers yes and it's it it rolls off the tongue quite easily but until you really comprehend that Farmers don't go to the elevator and go, well, my cost of production was five bucks an acre or five bucks a bushel. I'm going to need 550 from you before I, <laughs> I take it here. That's not how that goes. Yes. That's not how any of that works. <laughs> um, they have some, some abilities to contract their wheat ahead and, and play the markets a little bit. But still, that's, it, it's a losing proposition. And there's only so long that you can lose money. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're going to be keeping track of that for a while. Uh, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be lead on my list. You know, <laughs> we've got Mother's Day coming up and I really didn't want to be thinking about wheat on Mother's Day, but I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> I don't have to worry about Mother's Day myself. Don't, don't start putting, you know, <laughs> thoughts out there. Good golly, I have a dog. I don't need anything else. Um, <laughs> but you've got kiddos, so... What are you thinking Mother's Day is going to entail for you? I don't have any idea. My oldest, he was actually born on Mother's Day, and he he's always thinks that's so special that he was born on Mother's Day, and it is because he was my first Mother's Day gift. <laughs> and I don't know that we have anything planned. I mean, we have cows to take care of. We have other stuff that needs to be done. And 
I was supposed to take pictures the day before at a barrel race, but I think it's probably too wet for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I always joke because I was brought home on Mother's Day. I told you specifically you could have held out three more days for my birthday, and he and I would have shared a birthday. No. No, no, I had no. to share a birthday that sucks, so I wouldn't <laughs> wish that on anybody. I was volunteering it. <laughs> Only the best babies are born in May. Yeah. Uh, no, but my mom always had to compete with you know, playing the piano at church. And then there was typically something we had to do with the cattle, something we had to do with the wheat. She understands as a, as a farm mom, the, the limits of being spoiled on your special mother's day. Yeah. So if nobody else wakes up and makes you pancakes, happy mother's day. (laughs) I don't see the pancakes happening, but it is what it is. <laughs> well, well, what if they just bring you a red beer? <laughs> Six pack to go? <laughs> yes, but you can't go very far. <laughs> they need you. <laughs> well, hey, um, by the way, it is our one-year anniversary episode, Kayleen. Yeah. 52 of these. Yeah, and we didn't quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't let you. What Did you think that we'd get this far? Did you think this little crazy idea of mine would would actually work i didn't know that it would get as far as we have but it's kind of cool right i think we've learned a lot what's been your favorite podcast probably the one when we went to boot hill yeah just to get out and see the stuff and talk to the people that are there and hear the stories you know what i gotta say this this whole medium is kind of fun for us as reporters because we get to share stuff with you that that we see a lot or yeah. we get to, you know, share some behind the scenes kind of things that you may not get in the pages of the journal because the pages and, and the website, it's a very news centric, right? Right. This is where we get to have a little bit of commentary and a little bit of back and forth with you guys, the listeners, and we appreciate that. Yeah. And I got to edit Joe Berkeley's interview and that was kind of cool too because of his history with the, the town and the airbase and my family actually lives close to where the, the old air base used to be. And just hearing that stuff in, in Joe's own voice was kind of cool. You know, we lost Joe two years ago, and um, it was very neat to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. You know, as somebody that, you know, we're, we're a 70-year-old publication. And there are, there are people in our past that have created a, a legacy for us to follow. And, and we look at them and, and think, okay, how would they do it? What advice would they give us? What kind of answers can we glean from their experience? And Joe was one of those that he didn't know agriculture. No. <laughs> he had no idea, but he He was went, from Chicago or yeah. somewhere over there. I don't... <laughs> he was a city boy. Yes. But he had the gumption to go out and start, you know, asking farmers questions and wandering around the countryside with an extension agent and mm-hmm. learning the business from the ground up. And I just, I always appreciated his gumption. Yeah, I do you know? too. Um, I got to say, I had some, some interesting ones. I enjoyed interviewing Tanner Bruner. Um, <laughs> I wish you had been there. <laughs> but uh, Tanner was a Kansas State boy who grew up just down the road from me. And uh, he was competing in his first national finals rodeo as a steer wrestler. Yeah. He didn't do too shabby, but there is room for improvement, and he is on his way <laughs> next year, I can tell. You know, he, good kid, good, solid kid all around, and that was just kind of cool to talk to somebody who's there at the, at the finals. And yeah. A Kansas kid who's there yeah. competing. <laughs> you know, early on in our podcast, we had the opioid episode. 
And that was a really interesting, I mean, that was something that we were trying just as a way to uh, get everybody who was on staff, their voices on on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that haven't checked out our opioid episode and our opioid issue, that was where we took a very in-depth look at the crisis in America and how it was affecting our farm country and our farm neighbors. You know, you can still find that online at hpj.com. And I just really appreciated the reporting that was coming out of that, Kayleen. Uh, we, we really worked together as a team, and, and we really answered some questions. And I, I hope that we started some conversations around the table. Yeah, I hope so, too. And, I mean, I learned from the ones that I read and the ones the story I wrote. So hopefully somebody else got something out of it. Yep. Well, folks, we just want to say thank you so very much for each and every one of you for riding with us these 52 weeks. Um, HPJ is constantly rolling out new products and new ways to get the news that you can use to you anytime on your time. So if you enjoy this podcast, do us a favor, share it with your buddies, or drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com. In this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the May 6th print edition. We're going to chat with Kayleen about her cover story for the dairy issue, which takes a look at the mental health in the dairy industry. And of course, Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have our final thoughts. So for those of you who've been with us since the beginning, and those of you just now discovering us, we say thanks for tuning in, and we invite you to ride with us on HPJ Talk. This week's 1B story was brought to us by Larry Dryling, who brings us an update on the trade issues that farmers are most concerned about. At the end of April, a coalition of major farm groups led by the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, including the American Farm Bureau Federation and nearly every primary commodity group, sent a letter to U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer. They called for the implementation of the U.S.-Japan Trade Agreement stating that Japan, as the number four largest market for U.S. ag products, is critical for continued growth in the ag sector and supporting millions of U.S. jobs. On the China front, Dryling writes that Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin traveled to Beijing for talks. A group, Americans for Free Trade, including the American Bakers Association, the Grocery Manufacturers Association, and CropLife America, want the Trump administration to prioritize five outcomes— First, fully eliminate tariffs, then address China's unfair trading practices, avoid any future tariffs, clarify the exemption process for tariff products, and finally review what role tariffs played in these negotiations. You can read more on his story at hpj.com. On our Opinions and Editorials page, 4B, Editor Holly Martin introduces Cattle U and Trade Show July 31st and August 1st. Later in the podcast, we'll talk with our livestock salesman, Nick Wells, about what we can expect to see. Don't forget, subscribers receive a discount code for reduced registration. The two-day event will feature 20-plus breakout sessions, keynotes, and more. To register, visit cattleu.net. 
Seymour Clearly writes about the unglamorous correspondence dinner, and copy editor Jennifer Thrower brings us a book review of Vanishing Bees, a book from Rutgers University Press about pollinators and bee health. Contributor Lacey Newland leads the livestock section with a story about Texas Tech establishing a new vet school in Amarillo to fill the needs for more rural vets in Texas. Remember, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. This week, Kayleen, you brought us the cover story. It was called Without Farmers, There Is No Farm. And this was for our dairy issue. And you took a, an interesting turn on the dairy issue by looking at the mental health of our dairy industry and, and the farmers that are out there. Maybe explain how did you come across this topic? Why was this something that, that grabbed your attention and that you wanted to bring it to the attention of our, re- of our readers? I actually just typed in dairy industry in Google and started skimming through to see what I could find. And there's a large number of stories about this dairy farm's liquidating the herd. This one's closing. This small dairies in the eastern part of the United States are, the numbers are getting less and less and less. And I ran across a thing from the California Dairy Association. Mm -hmm. They were having a webinar. They had Robert Fetch, he's an extension specialist in professor in human development and family studies at Colorado State. He actually grew up on a dairy farm in Texas, so he knows the struggle and he knows all the things that his parents went through. And his his brother actually is still a dairy farmer. Mm -hmm. So he understands the stress and the different things that dairy farmers go through with the amount of work they have to attend to and then the money involved in it. Is it just a, a feeling of overwhelming guilt over we couldn't make it work we couldn't make it work and we have to just we have to disperse is it more the dairy prices are below our cost of production and we don't know how we're going to pay our bills let alone keep this farm afloat you know what what are the primary causes that they're seeing or or do they see a primary cause and it's just one thing on top of another on top of another on top of another yeah I think He talked a lot about, you know, the signs of stress. Like, for example, there's a change in the routine. Like a farmer will usually go out in the morning, do chores, do this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if if that changes, you better pay attention. (laughs) You know, that's one thing, you know, a couple of years ago, I I had done a story about mental health after the fires. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the key things that the folks that I talked with is, they saw a change in in patterns like you said but appetite disturbance so either eating more or not eating Mm -hmm. substance abuse problems that never ever would have been a thing before in the past um big irritability and moodiness issues he spent a lot of time on anger and depression and the signs to to look for and things like the appearance of the farmstead or the dairy declined Mm -hmm. they weren't keeping things mowed they cattle were out even the care of the livestock might decline. I know we've done stories on on people that have been 
accused of starving animals and just leaving animals and we don't know what was going on in that farmer's head i mean stuff happens people are people and farmers are not robots no they're not they care a lot about what they do yeah there's there's really very few jobs out there where you live on the facility that is also your business Mm -hmm. and when you live on your business you see you you see a, a, a much more direct connection to that whole thing. You take it way more personally. Oh yeah. It it's no longer a business. You know the name of that cow. Yeah. You know, you know her preferences for where she stands <laughs> to get milked. You know everything about her. You know how many calves she's had. It's not it, it is a business, but it's one unlike that you're gonna see in a lot of yeah. other areas of the world. And I remember when my dad quit farming and we had a a farm sale and he had some consequential health problems and there was more than one time when he said, this would be better off without me. And so you have to recognize those signs in your loved ones. If, I mean, as subtle as it is, a comment like that, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to recognize them and, you know, if it, if they need help, you need to find the right people to help them. Well, and it's not just... It's not just the loved ones that we share a house with. You know, if you're at a coffee clatch at the co-op. Yeah. Or if you're at the, the Blue Moo, you yeah. know, or, or your <laughs> local cafe or something, and you start seeing a buddy that doesn't show up on time, maybe is a little bit more quiet in that group, maybe you're starting to hear that he's drinking a little bit more or, you know, tuning up his kids and his wife yeah, for no reason or another. Maybe it's time to address it. And I know, I know that agricultural guys and gals, we don't like to mess in other people's family business. Yeah. You know, there's there are certain things that you just say, you know what, that's family business, that's up to them. But if there was ever a time to mix it up and be like, you know what, Joe, I'm concerned. Yeah, well, Robert, in the in the webinar, he gave an example of, the coffee shop and how the buddies were around and the one that wasn't wasn't doing so well made the comment well, well let's go have a last cigarette and the other the guy's like why would you say that and started talking to him and then he was concerned about you know what was going on or if a friend makes the comment of well I only need one bullet you know buy a box of bullets and you only need one make yeah. recognize that something's going on well in his example the the friend did call the wife and the wife managed to, you know, get the intervene. Yeah. Intervene and get her husband help. So, so folks, if you or somebody, you know, needs help, they, they mentioned some, some information, right? Kayleen about, uh, where you can go. Um, he had mentioned the, the 1-800 suicide line, which is 1-800-784-2433. And there's a live trained person that will talk with you and that will help you find local help. And I know in these rural areas, it's hard to find somebody close that's qualified to help in this situation. And that doesn't, that you don't know from outside of that yeah. either. Yeah. I, when this story came out was Monday the 6th and I got here at eight o'clock. Well, it was actually early, but mm-hmm. at eight o'clock my phone rang and it was a guy that had read the story and had stuff going on in his life and needed someone to talk to. And I listened the best I could and... <laughs> It was pretty pretty heavy for a Monday morning. You know, 
we get phone calls like that though because people see our bylines and we're in their home every week week after week they see our bylines they see our photos they hear us on here um and that's great that's wonderful that our readers think enough of us that they reach out to us and And i'm glad he called i thanked him for calling in and i hope that he gets to continue on doing what he's doing because he he did seek out some help and he's been talking to the appropriate people so it's not shameful no it's not we go to veterinarians for animal health issues we go to doctors to hear to to fix a broken bone the brain is just another part of the body and you know what it's not a failure on anybody's part there's no, there's nothing that you can do over your brain chemistry and what gets you down. Yeah. So reach out. Uh, like she said, Kayleen, that, that suicide hotline is, is again. 1-800-784-2433. And even in rural areas where we are all related to each other by blood, marriage, church, or 4-H <laughs> affiliation, those folks that you talk to, by law, they cannot talk to other people about your issues. That there's confidentiality. Yeah. So if that's what's stopping you from going out and reaching out for help, it's silly. Yeah, don't and then let that stop you. He talked about there's telemedicine and some of those sort of things now that mm-hmm. that are available. So if you don't feel comfortable talking to someone in your community, surely there's somebody on those those avenues to yeah. help you. Well, Kayleen, thank you so much for bringing this story to the attention of our readers and keeping it out there. You know what? If if it's you, go get help. If it's your buddy at the coffee shop, go get help. If it's your spouse or if it's your child or if it's your parent, go get help. Yep. Because I don't want to have to <laughs> I don't want to have to see stories like we saw in the 80s, okay guys? Mm-hmm. So please take care of each other out there. Thanks, Kayleen. Yep. Well, we're here with Nick Wells, who is one of our livestock marketing consultants here at High Plains Journal. Uh, Nick, we've got a new program on um, on the agenda at the end of July, first part of August, Cattle U. So tell us a little bit about how Cattle U came to be. Well, it, it's an exciting program to work with. And I think how it came to be, that there's people like me that have been in the cattle business all their life or rather you're just starting out. But I think all of us have a lot of questions about things that are going on in the cattle business right now, whether it be with genetics or whether it be, you know, with how, how to take care of them, feed them. We're going to try to answer a lot of the timely questions during this two-day event. Well, now, and we focus on cow-calf, on stalkers, on feedlots. So it's, it's really geared toward a, a wide variety of sectors in the cattle business, right? Right. We're, we're looking at kind of all phases of it. And uh, I, think, I think we're going to have some people in there that are going to be interesting and, and know what's, what's going on. One that I'm really excited about that uh, confirmed this week is uh, Lorna Marshall. And uh, Lorna is head of uh, bull procurement for select sires. And one of the one of the I things that I think a lot of people just coming off of the the bull run this spring that confuses a lot of breeders out there is all the different EPDs and how to fit them into your program. And so Lorna is going to address that. You know how to use these EPDs to make your program better, whether you're targeting uh, feeder cattle or whether you're a purebred breeder. Well, the end of July, first part of August here in Dodge City is always Dodge City Days, and we're 
kind of packaging this with that and there's going to be a possible social interaction event at the rodeo so but for sure there's going to be rodeo tickets yeah they're offering those when you sign up and that's on the website cattleu.net right so nick where where can folks uh get registration information again they can either get it off of our website at hpj.com or you can call into the office. We have uh, people that are always around here that will be glad to, to get you signed up. 1-800-452-7171, and we'll get you signed up. Well, great, and we're looking forward to this, right, Kayleen? Yes, we are. And we will see you in Dodge City July 31st and August 1st for Cattle U. Thanks, Nick. You bet. <laughs> Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on April 30th, corn was up at $3.43, wheat was down at $3.49, milo was up at $2.93, and soybeans were down at $7.09. For generations, High Plains Journal's classified ads have been a go-to resource for all of your farm and ranch needs, and soon we will bring that same service and commitment to the digital sphere with our upgraded classifieds online. Check your upcoming issues for more details about this service or call 1-800-452-7171 to talk to one of our account executives. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. <laughs> Next week's print issue of High Plains Midwest Ag Journal is our alfalfa issue with a cover story from Kayleen. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes May 13th and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day.